Welcome to Future Extraordinaire. I'm Amit Mira, President of Asia Pacific and Japan and Global Digital Cities with Dell Technologies. And I'm Daniel Margie, VP of Presales, also with Dell Technologies. We are optimists, we love technology, and we believe future is amazing. We are helping to uncover the opportunities and possibilities, the skill and talent that are needed, and the progress that we can drive with the technology, data, and the indomitable human spirit. And with industry leaders, subject matter experts, and influencers joining us as guests, we will deep dive into the latest, coolest technologies, discuss new realities, the impact on Asia-Pacific region, and provide refreshing perspectives. We want a future that is full of hope, that is fair and just, a future that is extraordinary. Welcome back to the second episode of the AI Conundrum with my co-host, Amit Mitta, and myself, Daniel Marji. In this episode, we'll be continuing our conversation with Manoj, the Executive Chairman at Responsible AI, on the future of AI. Now over to you, Amit. So let me ask you a, 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 a question that just came came into my mind. So when the car was invented and before seatbelts mm-hmm. and the, you know, kind of airbags were there and before all the lane system were established and all the modern engineering to make the travel safe, there, there was a choice to keep the, um, um, you know, to, to, to reduce the speed and, uh, and, and keep people safe or to increase the speed and, and increase the risk. But then it did. It's it. Automotives are are fantastic piece of engineering, right? I mean, it has, but it has taken decades to get to the current situation, and even now you see thirty, forty thousand people dying every year because of the road accidents in U.S. So, so, so the technology. So, so where where do we draw the line? Where is it that what's the level of accuracy it needs to have? Does it need Six Sigma before we can launch AI? You know, I'm asking this question because. When you describe that we should, everyone should go down the path, I totally agree with that. But at the same time, for a new technology to become mature, the it has to be launched with certain parameters, learn from the data, get more mature, and over time, as long as intent is right, as long as you know, organizations like yourself are helping companies get mature, over time it will get better and more fair and accurate that we all desire because the positive benefit of this technology is also tremendous. Oh, fantastic. In fact, you know, a man after my heart, I love the whole car analogy because that's exactly kind of the situation we are in. We're in the early 1900s. You know, we're just building this internal combustion engine, putting tires on it and sending it out, even without a bumper. And then we start hitting cows and people. And then we say, you know what, we need a bumper on this thing. And then we say, oh, by the way, I'm hitting other cars, so we need a traffic light system, and then you know, so on and so forth. So the problem is that these are exponential technologies. With cars, at least you went from ten cars to a thousand cars to five hundred, you know, thousand cars or so. AI, the way it's being incorporated into business processes, this is gonna, you know, it's gonna be as smart as a, you know, in one year, it's gonna be as smart as a fifteen-year, uh, you know, what it takes to a human being. So. What's critical here from the design point of view are three elements, Amit. I think um, innovation should not stop, but there are three guiding principles around which this innovation should be directed. Number one, the design of these systems should start from asking the question, what is the human impact and societal impact we are designing for? Not 
what is the accuracy and precision and model recall that we are starting with? Uh, because once you start with that, then you then back into and say, okay, what are the rules and regulations that we have to comply in order to deliver that outcome? And then you ask, okay, what is the competence that we need in order to make sure we are designing and developing these systems and governing the systems properly? And that's where I said one of my biggest ahas was that AI is being looked at through the wrong end of the pipe or the wrong end of the telescope. We start this as a model recall and a model precision problem, whereas we should start with is what is the business outcome, what is the human impact, and then work back into it. So absolutely, we know we, there is this model called the three-liner defense. The first line of defense is business operations and IT, and they are looking at things like model precision, features, you know, uh, feature richness and all that, feature libraries and all. There's a second line of defense which is our risk and compliance, they look at it differently. If you're in healthcare, they look at it and say, how am I complying with the HIPAA law? And not just at a national level, how am I also uh, complying with California law around a customer's right to forget? So there is a whole set of industry and local policies that need to be designed into this, if you take a human view. And then last but not the least, you have to look at it through an audit lens, internal audit and external audit. And the design should not stop, except I think the design should be augmented to come at it from human and business outcome in. And what we are trying to do is help customers in their journey by certifying and rating their processes to say, how close are you to that design point? So, Manoj, this is quite interesting because we're now we're starting to see these early signs. You talked about the EU... Uh, calling out companies that you know don't disclose full transparency their their AI capabilities inside their organization if audited there's a potential six percent fine of total revenue. There's other governments that are now saying, "Hey, big tech companies, you need to be more transparent around how you're using your AI." How do you think organizations like the banks, like the tech companies, like you know health providers that are in some cases creating their own uh, AI models or machine learning models, or some cases purchasing them from other suppliers as they, they probably do today. How do you see them preparing for uh, an event similar to a cyber attack event? How do they prepare for an, an AI inquiry event into their organization? How, how do businesses have to think about that moving forward? Oh, that's, a, that's a wonderful question. So one of the things we do in the Responsible AI Institute, Danny, is we provide this opportunity for networking and advocacy. So we have, over the last five years, built a community of 2,200 responsible AI experts. And these include machine learning experts, lawyers, auditors, regulators, and corporate technologies like yourself. And this group of 2,200 people are the ones who are helping us build the tools to govern AI. And they also are a subset of it is what actually starts certifying these systems. So it's not like two people sitting in Responsible AI Institute that are saying, oh, your system is certified at a gold level or platinum level. It's actually the community of experts who are looking at and, and signing off that certificate. So in terms of the, uh, you know, again, some of the forward-looking companies, uh, particularly in banking and healthcare, they recognize that they are going to have to comply to a new set of laws around data, data rights and privacy and model transparency. So they're using us as a conduit to engage with regulators proactively and start advocating 
how is it that they want? So we build these sandboxes. Uh, we call it a Ray Collab. It's an open collaboration platform where we actually put up AI use cases. So we have one on lending, one on HR, one on credit, uh, one on you know claims processing. So and companies like American Express and Wells Fargo and uh, you know even the U.S. Department of Defense, they all come in and participate and look at this and say, okay, how are other people using this to proactively start engaging regulators? Um, so that's one side of it before it happens. The second part we look at doing is incident management. So when there is a crisis, how do you respond to an AI crisis? So we provide those services. We're about to launch that. Um, when they, your employees, a set of your employees within the company start staging walkouts because they don't agree with your principles, how do you respond to that incident? So one of the other benefits we provide in addition to networking and advocacy is this incident and crisis management capability where we will parachute in uh, a person from, you know, communications and PR, a person from law, a person from audit, and person from regulations to help augment the team, address that issue in a way that minimizes harm to the humans and to the business. So these, these are the other value-added capabilities beyond certification that we provide. So uh, let's step back and let's, if this is as big as societal AI, then should there be a new body of um, government agency or, you know, public-private partnership or NGOs that should be uh, setting rules for it? Because at the end of the day, I think while we can individually, organizations can say, yep, I got ISO certification, so I got the race certification and so on and so forth, but then the rules of the game haven't been defined. So even if it is, we have the certification, but tomorrow that that's 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 not that's not going to be true unless this rules get defined just like in crypto right first everybody just ran 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 and now all of a sudden the rules are coming in and that's how trust can be built that's how investor can be protected so my question to you is Manoj what should should there be a rethink about should there be a secretary of AI let's call it that way yeah oh great question first of all um that's already beginning to happen. Many countries now have started uh, announcing and appointing chief responsible AI officer. Uh, many large tech companies, if you look under the covers, have now a chief responsible AI officer. So that is a thing. And in fact, uh, you know, we work with a lot of them because they're trying to understand how do I upgrade my products and my processes to embed responsible AI pr principles and practices in it. But from a practical point of view, I mean, the stuff you talk about, the rules and regulations, that's happening at four different levels today. One, it is happening at a global level, and, and we are partnered very closely with the OECD, where they have these guiding principles for responsible AI. And we are also partnered with the World Economic Forum. And uh, we are also partnered with the UN with their development goals. So there is a global level of principles that are being announced and being adopted by countries and companies. That's level one. Level two are standards bodies. So companies like IEEE, we work very closely with them, ANSI and ISO, and they are beginning to, um, and, and also like FINRA and others in banking, and uh, they all FDA, they're all beginning to now say, okay, what does it mean in the context of my industry or my region? That's level two. Level three is companies and corporations like yourself who are saying, how do I make sure that in the markets I operate and the industry that I operate, that my data-powered digital decisioning systems 
can stand up to the scrutiny and are compliant with the local laws and, and expectations. That's the third level, is companies saying that. And then the fourth and final one is consumers. Uh, advocacy from a customer level who are now beginning to demand that you know, we want these systems to be, you know, transparent and 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 responsible and also ethical. So, uh, in a study that uh, Capgemini did last year, seventy-two percent of customers expected the AI system to be able to clearly explain the result. So, for example, if you deny someone a credit or on a bank loan, uh, can your chatbot explain itself? If the chatbot says, "I'm sorry, your your loan is delayed," or your mobile app says, "Sorry, you didn't get the credit card." Can you ask the credit card, why did you deny the loan? Or why, what could I have done to deny the loan? And can the app come back and say, well, if you had two less credit cards or if you had a job uh, for three more years, uh, we would have applied, we have approved this. So building explainability into these results is something that customers expect today and they're getting very um, you know, vocal about it. Uh, they also expect 68% of the companies in the same uh, result that they expect organizations to take ownership of the AI algorithms when they go wrong. You know, we saw the case of the Apple card when they launched it that, uh, uh, you know, there was a writer whose wife had more income and was more capable, but she was given less credit when they both applied to the Apple card. She got lesser credit than he did, even though economically and professionally, he was not as capable as she was. And that became a huge issue. So uh, the consumers are getting more and more vocal. They're getting on social media and talking about saying this and that company is unethical or it doesn't treat the customer right. So rules are evolving on its own at all these four levels. But but given you are such a big practitioner of, of AI, I mean, data doesn't lie, right? So our societal and moral values may be in conflict with the data. But, but the point is, the more we do deep learning, that means data is the language and you cannot, you don't have the, uh, you don't have the um, rules well defined, so deciphering it back is also difficult. But there should be a scenario planning that you can, uh, uh, you know, kind of check in what scenarios this uh, loan gets approved or not. But my point to you is that if the data doesn't lie, right, that and somehow we're making it bias-free, then are we talking about a bigger issue of we? We as a society want to evolve in certain direction, and the historical data suggests something different. I'll tell you, uh, this is another reason why I believe, this is one of the two reasons why I believe this is the most important thing I'm doing in my life. Uh, and this will be the company I was telling my uh, daughter the other day, this business card is the one that will go in my casket when I leave this earth. It's Responsible AI Institute, because I believe fundamentally, Amit, that we can build a better society and a fairer society with AI. Because today's decisions that we make, most of them are unscrutable. Most of them are done by human in their brains, and you can't really understand how those decisions were made. But as more and more of these, and this is not a 10-year statement, this is a 30-year, 50-year statement about building a fairer and a better society with AI, because when you move these decisions from a human brain onto a machine uh, intelligence-powered algorithm, and you make that transparent and accountable, we can build actually better quality decisions and better quality outcomes that are fairer uh, for the whole society. So one of the reasons I'm excited about this is this will actually help us, responsible AI will help us build a better society. And uh, one of the things that uh, where it starts with is with companies and governments. That's where most of these things are being 
deployed. And, and the second question about data doesn't lie. The thing with data is uh, very interesting. It's a complex issue. We can spend a whole session on data itself. One is you need to make sure that you have the rights to the data that you're using to drive those decisions. And that's not an easy problem to solve because you may have a whole bunch of data, but you may not have rights to use it in a certain context. Uh, for example, if you have a data on a patient uh, and uh, that patient tends to be a, happens to be a drug addict and, and it's in the electronic medical record, and if the patient goes and breaks his foot and he goes to a podiatrist to, a podiatrist to look at his feet, the podiatrist doesn't need to know that this person is a drug addict because it does not have anything to do with the disease. So how you manage data in a contextual sense is quite important. And uh, there is a lot of data rights, data application issues that come in. That's one. The second issue with data is data drifts. Data does not change. So you know, one of the healthcare companies built uh, claims processing algorithms and they built it in spring. And then they started noticing something interesting and they built it and they deployed it across different states. Then they started seeing that in winter, the model started underperforming quite a bit on claims processing in Florida. And later on, when they started inspecting as to what happened, they realized that the data shifted because in winter, a lot of the snowbirds from New York, retirees and all, started moving down to Florida. And as a result, the shift in the data started impacting the model. So it's a, it's a dynamic system that needs to be governed around how you source the data, how you use the data, and how you look for shifts and drifts in the data. All of that needs to be brought into this responsible AI governance pattern. It's interesting you say that, um, you know, movies nowadays are being made with AI engines to try and depict what audience are going to really enjoy as part of a movie. And uh, it, it takes us into one of our segments that we do here, Manoj, and I hope you have a little bit of fun with us here today. It's called This Time in BizTech. And there's a recent movie that was made. Uh, I don't know if you've you've watched it. Uh, it's on Netflix called Red Notice that was made using AI to depict what audience are going to thrive on. And it was a really si simple recipe. Uh, you know, famous, famous action hero and uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, real strong comedian that people love to, to hear about. And a female action hero as well. So Ryan Reynolds and, and Gail Gaggett. And she, she and, and Ryan and, and, uh, and Dwayne went off on, on a script made by an AI engine. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen this happen. And if you haven't seen the movie, I don't know, not many people enjoyed it in the end. So it tells you that there is data drift along this way, but people watched it and they made lots of money. But 20 years ago, Steven Spielberg had the same approach, but he thought he'd bring more of a, a pragmatic view to it. He didn't use an AI script or an engine to decide what it was going to be about, but he imagined what the world would be like in the movie. Artificial Intelligence. And that was created 20 years ago, and it, it painted a vision for audience members back then. My ask of you is, in 10 years, what do you think is going to be the change that AI will bring? Or how do you think AI is going to be headed in the next 10 years and beyond? Uh, that's a wonderful question. So I would answer it on three dimensions. Uh, dimension one, at a human creativity level, I think AI is going to bring about this Cambrian explosion of human creativity and uh, in terms of how they start applying these powerful technologies to transform, like I said, how we work, how we learn, how we live, and how we play. Uh, it's a phenomenal time to be an entrepreneur uh, because with AI, you can really start creating all kinds of products and services. You know, I'm a huge fan of jazz. 
And if you look at the history of jazz, in the 1940s and 50s, the the whole area of jazz took off massively because of the synthesizer, the electronic synthesizer. Now, if you were a jazz musician and you didn't have a lot of money to bring a whole cast together, that device completely transformed the capability of this jazz musician to produce amazing music because in one box, you had 10 different musicians in there that you could orchestrate. And I believe AI is like that synthesizer for human creativity and imagination and as an entrepreneur and innovator, be it in a big company or small company. So I think one shift that I see 10 years from now is this massive explosion in human creativity as AI gets more and more democratized and easy to use through platforms and tools and products that companies like Dell uh, you know, bring forward to the market. That's one dimension of how it will change. The second dimension of how it will change is businesses are going to start using AI as the next uh, transformational shift capability. I call it the shift from .com to .ai. And AI is going to be, you know, it's already now unleashing the next wave of enterprise innovation and in, and, and investment. The last time we made billions of dollars of investment in the enterprise was with .com. And that's a 25-year-old architecture. So as you now look at .ai, there is going to be a massive amount of investment, massive amount of leaders and new inventors who are going to transform the business landscape. And, um, you know, I remember with Webify, working with Dell, with HTML in the very early days with Dell.com, where Amit was running uh, Dell Ventures. And, and my father used to say, you know, an ungrateful life is a wasted life. And I'm always grateful to Amit and Dell Ventures for supporting this little company out of Austin who felt we can build marketplaces on top of Dell.com. So similarly, there will be a new kinds of metaverses on top of clouds that's going to come up with AI and businesses are going to find way to monetize it. You already hear luxury brands building digital sneakers and digital scarves and stuff like that. So that's the second thread of business. The third part, um, unfortunately, that's going to happen is there is going to be a lot of mini, uh, I call it uh, AI Chernobyls. So in 10 years, I think we will see all this, you know, positive and negatives uh, coming together. And last but not the least, AI and blockchain is going to start coming together. That's a marriage made in heaven. You know, AI is a self-learning system and blockchain is a self-governing system, particularly things like distributed autonomous organizations and DeFi. We're going to see a very exciting uh, intersection of AI and blockchain in the years to come. What a fascinating conversation. and What a fascinating journey that you have taken, Manoj. Really proud of you. And it kind of is a miss on my part to not having stayed in touch, but I promise you we'll set up our one-on-one soon. So um, in closing, I just want to thank you all for joining us on uh, Future Extraordinaire. Manoj, I just would like to have give last word to you. Any, uh, you know, two or three statements that you would like to close your talk with? Well, uh, first of all, I want to start by thanking you and uh, Danny and Dell for and the team at Dell for giving me this opportunity. Uh, the only thing I want to kind of close back with is to look at this area of responsible AI as not just a technology or a social benefit, but to look at it as our duty. I look at this work I'm doing as not uh, something I you know, need to do, it's something I have to do because this is my duty as a citizen and a family member. Because you know, if you look at my own personal story, you know, I came to the US as an immigrant from India 32 years ago with $14,000 in loan. And I was afforded this unparalleled opportunity to demonstrate my talent and my grit in, in the U.S. and have been blessed with a lot of professional and financial success. And that's what makes U.S. A, a great country and a great society because they were able to create this 
opportunity field that people like me you know could come in and benefit from but as we move forward to a world that's powered by machine intelligence uh, a lot of these decisions on you know venture funding or lawyers and education and all that stuff are going to be moved to machines and if we are not careful uh, we could be building a world that will be on an inequality autopilot where a lot of these black box algorithms are excluding people from opportunities across all aspects of life and across all parts of the world so part of what drives me to this is to continue to keep america as the land of opportunity and the land of equal access and uh, in a world that's powered by ai it's my duty to make sure that those ai systems propagate the american values that we all have benefited from over the last 30 years for that matter last 200 years so i just wanted to kind of share that as to why this is personal to me excellent well thank you so much for your time manoj and to all our listeners if you enjoyed our podcast today please subscribe leave a review and tell your friends about us and please stay tuned for our next episode over to you danny for closing off yeah thank you everyone and if you've enjoyed our podcast please uh let us know what you think tell your friends about us Uh we're going to be uh sharing out this podcast and we're looking forward to getting your feedback for future episodes on Future Extraordinaire. Thanks for joining us on Future Extraordinaire with the community that we're reaching. We hope that together we will build a future that is extraordinary. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends about us. And please stay tuned for our next episode.